All right, good morning, everybody. All right, how about that? We're trying to really get a glimpse of what life is going to be like together with Boulder Valley as we move into this next stage as Legacy Church. So if you weren't here, we made this big announcement last Sunday that we are merging with another church. Um, very, very close by, just a mile, a mile around the corner. And um, we're really excited because God is the one doing this. This was not on either church's radar when it came about, and God has just guided us every step of the way. So I want to emphasize it again. Please come to the town hall tonight if you are able. It will be streamed as well, but please come in person because even if you might not have any particular questions or anything like that, we want to start building our relationships with their people here and now. Um, so I really, really want to encourage you to, to come to that. But because of this, it may, have, it, it may have felt like a long week for you. For me, it's, it's felt like a long week. It's felt, felt like a long couple of months, but... Um, Easter has kind of come by and hit me in the side of the head. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this is here already. So did anybody forget that today was Palm Sunday? Yeah, a lot of hands. I almost forgot too. Luckily, I uh, knew what I was going to preach on. So, um, <clears throat> But this is, it's so interesting how time moves. I feel like it's so interesting to think that we're already this far into 2022. But as we enter into Easter week, this week being Easter week, as we enter into this week, we celebrate Palm Sunday for a number of reasons. One, the, the biggest thing is we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's one of um, a very few number of stories in the Gospels that's repeated in all four Gospels, so you know it's important. And this is the inauguration of Jesus' final week alive. And the Gospels give one-third of their words to Jesus' final week alive. He had a three-year ministry, but one-third of those words are dedicated just to this last week. So it's important, and we celebrate it. But I tend to think that, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I tend to think that most Palm Sunday messages tend to kind of say the same thing, because we always go back to the same story. We always teach the same thing. So I'm, my goal this morning is to try to take a little bit of a different angle at it, and I do believe that through, um, through this morning's passage that God has something for us specifically in this season as we look to what he's doing in this merger. So I really want to encourage us to, to open up our hearts and just to listen. What, is, what, what do you want to say to me and to us as a church this morning, Jesus? So if you don't know the Palm Sunday story, uh, the, this triumphant entry, I'll, I'll just summarize it real quick so we can get to the, the other angle. But basically, at Jesus's, uh, as he's entering into this last week of his life, he enters Jerusalem. This is the holy city. This is... This is the capital of Israel, right? So he's entering into Jerusalem, and we ultimately know that the end of his story, or of his journey, really, was the cross. But basically what happened is he tells his disciples, hey, go grab a donkey. It's going to be tied up. It's never been written. It's never been written before. I'm going to fulfill a prophecy. He goes out of his way to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Then his disciples follow his instructions. They go get the donkey. They bring it back, and then he hops on, and he rides it into Jerusalem, and people begin to lay down their cloaks on the, on the ground, and they wave palm branches in the air, yelling, Hosanna, which is basically, Lord, save us. And it's, it's really and truly an inauguration. It's a triumphal entry because this is how kings would enter into a city after victory. When a, a king was coming in to be inaugurated as the new king, this is how it would happen. So basically, we get a glimpse of the Jewish people welcoming Jesus and saying, Yes, you are our king. We accept you. You are the Messiah. We trust you. We believe in you as he enters into Jerusalem. 
But the, the passage I want to focus on this morning is one that actually only shows up in one gospel. So it, we're going to focus on Luke's gospel. If you have your Bibles with you and want to open and follow along, we're going to be camping out in Luke chapter 19. So all, all four gospels share this triumphal entry, but only Luke mentions this next passage that he writes in verses 41 through 44. <clears throat> so Luke records this after he has entered into Jerusalem. He says, but as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. And he says, I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. It's pretty heavy. Very quickly, we go from this grand triumphal entry of the new king to Jesus weeping over a city and saying, you're missing it. And you're gonna be destroyed because of it. He weeps. We get this really unique glimpse of the heart of Jesus. And he very, very straight up says, you, you don't recognize it when God is visiting you. Because as he's entering into the city, he knows full well what he's going to do. He, he knows who he is. He's, he is God in the flesh, and they don't see it. And he is on this path to ultimately die on the cross for them. And these are the same people that are going to crucify him. And he weeps over them. So my first point this morning is that Jesus' heart is for people, Period. And this may sound really, really elementary, really basic, but we have to understand this, not just from a head level, but from a heart level, that Jesus' heart is first and foremost for people, even the people that were going to kill him in five days. Jesus' heart is for people. And we can see this all throughout the Bible. I'll give you a handful of verses. First Timothy 2.4 says that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And you know what, what all, that word all means in the Greek, in the original Greek? Anybody, any guess? All. Sorry, you've probably heard that one before, but it's an easy joke to go back to. God wants all people to be saved, period, all. John 3, we get this uh, famous verse, John three sixteen, but I'll, I'll come a little bit earlier. Starting in verse 14, John writes, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So he's already foreshadowing the cross way this early on in Jesus' ministry. Just, just as M Moses raised up the snake, so I'm going to be lifted up on a stick, on a post, on a cross, so that anybody who believes will have eternal life. Then we get to this Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And if we keep this passage in mind when we see this scene where Jesus is weeping over the city, he didn't come to condemn them. He came to save them. 
And I want to encourage us to continually put yourself in that scene. Imagine Jesus right next to you, looking at this city and weeping over it. Can you imagine looking at the people that are going to kill you in five days and weeping over them and still desiring their salvation, still desiring to forgive them, doing everything he possibly can? Luke 19, 10, Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's his whole mission statement. To seek and save those who are lost, not to coddle the chosen. <laughs> you see, Jesus' heart is always for people. It has always been for people, always. Even the worst of people. You see, I don't know about you, but I think for me and human beings in general, we, we're really good at writing people off, right? If you say something wrong, if you do something wrong, if you, if you disagree with me in a certain way, or if you um, do something that offends me, whatever it is, or maybe you're just hard to be around, you know, we can very quickly write people off and unintentionally or intentionally create this hierarchy of like, oh, I like these people, I don't like these people, and we, we very clearly will try to create a hierarchy of who's better, who's, who's all right, who's not great, who I don't want to be around, who I just desperately hate and think that the, everything should go wrong for them. Can you relate with that? Do you see that in the world that we live in today? Human beings, we're terrible to each other, but Jesus isn't turned away by any of it. Nothing turns Jesus away from people. He's the perfect example. And I love this glimpse because as we think about Easter week, as we think about this triumphal entry, we see Jesus' heart. I'm just struck by that image of Jesus weeping over this city. He loves these people. And he says, you of all people. Do you, you feel the emotion in that? I mean, these are God's chosen people. This is his holy city. This, he comes to them and says, you of all people, how could you have missed this? You of all people should know the way to peace, which is through me. And then Jesus prepares himself for this last week of his life to give everything he has for them. For the whole world, yes, but also for them. He's willing to lay everything down. And then here's the thing. As we think about this roughly 2,000 years later, we know that Jesus has done his work. Jesus did his work on the cross and in the resurrection. Yes, he continues to move. The Holy Spirit moves. But the, the, the pinnacle of Jesus' work was done on the cross and the resurrection. It's done. And he's handed us the baton. Matthew 28, if you don't know this passage, this is a great one to memorize. We come back to it often. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says to his disciples as he's after the resurrection, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus passes his mission on to us. Our purpose as Jesus' church is ultimately to be his hands and feet in the world, right? We don't, 
our, our purpose is not to gather and just have a good time together or get to know people and be enriched. Like, that's not our purpose as the church. The church is meant to be his hands and feet. He is the head. We are the body. We go forth and fulfill his mission. That's what we're called to. And to do that, we need to share Jesus's heart. So if Jesus's heart is for people, so should ours. You know, we live in a world, we've talked about this a lot. We live in a world that often tells you, hey, follow your heart. What is your heart telling you? What is your heart speaking to you? Well, we have to look at each other and say, follow Jesus's heart, not yours. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus's heart. We're called to share his heart. Matthew 4:19. Right at the beginning when Jesus was calling his disciples to follow him, this is his call. He says, "Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people." His calling comes with a mission. His calling comes with with this picture of I'm going to send you out to carry my heart into the world, to carry on my mission. Which brings us back to Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So as we reflect on this story and this aspect of the story this morning, I want to ask you the question is, who do you weep for? Just take a moment to think about your life. Who do you weep for? Your family, your extended family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Do you weep over your city? We have a really unique perspective up on this hill. And Boulder Valley has a very similar perspective of looking at Boulder. When we look down this hill at Boulder County, do we weep? Or are we quick to point a finger and say, yeah, you, you guys are all messed up. You got it all wrong. You're far from God. You're a bunch of amoral people. Are we quick to point a finger or are we quick to actually weep and to feel Jesus' heart for people? Who do you weep for? Because if we miss that, we're gonna miss Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is always for people, even the crazies. There are a lot of crazy people in the world, amen? Some of them are in this room. <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, Jesus loves people, and he's calling us to share the same love, the same heart for people, especially as we come to celebrate Easter. Because it's that heart that drove him to the cross. And so I can't help but think, you know, as I've been preparing for this, we, we mentioned this big announcement last Sunday. We've been steeped in it. Many of you have been processing for days of what does this even look like? What is this, what's, how is this gonna look moving forward when we merge with Boulder Valley? And I wanna emphasize this to all of you. We know very clearly as a leadership team, we've been wrestling with this for a few months, we know so clearly that God is the one who's called us to this. God has orchestrated this. Neither church was seeking this out when it came up. But ever since we started talking with this other congregation, these, this other leadership team, it just became so clear. God is the one who has put this before us. And so we're walking in obedience. And we wanna answer this call faithfully. And that's why, again, if, you, if you're still kinda curious about why we're calling ourselves Legacy Church, that's a big part of it, is because not only do we wanna honor the legacies of both church, they, they've been around for almost 150 years, long, long time. But we want to be a part of leaving a faith legacy in Boulder County for generations to come. 
We want to look at this city and have a heart for Boulder County and beyond, right? There's a lot of surrounding counties as well. But we want to look at our city with the heart of Jesus and say we are called to them. We are called to these people. We're called to sharing the good news. And ultimately what we want to see long term is we want to see a faith legacy left for generations that impacts this city, this area radically. And as we've been talking about that, I, I just can't help but continue, continue to look at Boulder County, especially, you know, when you, how many of you get to regularly drive over 36, over that hill on 36, down into Boulder, or even just down South Boulder Road, right? Raise your hands. You get to see that view regularly. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous view. I want to encourage you, when, the next time you take that route and get to just look over the city, I mean, yes, the flat irons are beautiful, but just reflect and pray for the people. And ask God to change your heart, to weep over them. Because he'll do that. That's our calling as a church. And God is moving, he's moving ahead of us, he's, he's laying this vision in front of us, and it is so unbelievable that we just get to, to join him in his work. He's the one doing this. And just as Jesus was willing to go into Jerusalem and do everything he could for them, to give everything he had, to lay down his life for these people, it raises the question for us, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to do? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to lay down to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all the nations, starting with, with this area. So something I noticed this time reading through the triumphal entry, if you want to open up your Bibles again, Luke 19. Starting in verse 30, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, go into that village over there, and as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever written. Ridden. I keep saying written. I don't know what's going on. I'm tired that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. So the funny thing about the Bible is, is it's an old book, right? This was written like almost 2,000 years ago. If we put it into common vernacular, this is hilarious. Can you see this? Jesus telling his disciples, like, hey, there's a donkey in this village over there. It's never been written. I just want you to go grab it and bring it back to me. And his disciples are like, wait, what? You want us to do what? And there's that concern of like, okay, but there, what if the owners ask me why I'm doing that? And Jesus just says, oh, just tell them I need it. Like, as a disciple, I'd be like, are you, what are you having? I'm going to be killed. That's, <laughs> that's theft. And then, of course, the, the story just con continues to go on and says, okay, so they did. They walked in obedience. They went. They untied this colt, this donkey's colt. And, and Saint, that question comes up. Hey, why are you untying that? And they, they say what Jesus told them to say. The Lord needs it. And then it just says they, they took the donkey to Jesus. <laughs> we have no idea what actually happened. It's not, some of the beauty of, of the way that the Bible's written is it, it gives us room to imagine, what, what was that like? Was there more of a conversation going on there? 
How might the owners have reacted? We have no idea. I mean, I honestly have a hard time believing. They're like, oh, okay, cool. It's enough reason for me. And that's a, that's a valuable asset right there. So I wonder. I wonder if they might have reacted with anger, right? Uh, the Lord needs it? No, 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 no. That's my donkey. Get your hands off of my donkey. You know, they didn't have guns back in the day, but you can just hear the, the shotgun click, you know? Get off my yard. Get off my property. Okay, they could have reacted that way. Who knows? They could have said, hey, you know, how, how do I know that you're telling the truth? Like, how do I know that, that the Lord or Jesus or, you know, whatever, how do I know that he actually is the one that told you this? You know, anybody could say the Lord needs it. They could have been doubt. You know, I wonder if they could have been like, oh, no, 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 no. I know the Lord. He would never ask me to give up my donkey. He would ne- no. He would never take that from me. He knows how important it is to me. So we can fill in the blanks. Like, it's just funny. We don't know. But apparently whatever they said by saying the Lord needs it was enough to convince them. They bring this donkey to Jesus. But it, it, it just stuck with me, that phrase, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. That was enough. Do you realize that there are times in your life where God will ask you to give something up? If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. God will ask you to give something up. Especially if it's something that you have raised on a pedestal higher than God in your life. He'll ask you to give stuff up. And it's not that God actually needs anything from us. He doesn't, God doesn't need our stuff. I mean, if God really wanted to, he could probably, probably could have lowered a donkey from heaven, but he didn't. This is how he chose to go about it. He doesn't need our stuff, but often what God needs to do is he needs to change our circumstances or remove something for our lives so that we get to participate in the way that's needed for his promises to come about. It's about us. Sometimes God will need to change your circumstances so that you can take your next step in moving further into the promises of God and seeing what he wants to do through you. So some of you may have met, may, or some of you have mentioned, especially last week during the potluck, I heard several people mention it, that you were just really impressed with our leadership team for keeping this whole merger thing a secret for almost three months. So thank you. I'm impressed with myself as well. I almost <laughs> let it slip a couple times. Um, but if you do the math, you might notice that our most recent series on Abraham, like we, we knew about the merger when we planned that, that series. That was intentional. We, we wanted to highlight Abraham's story because he's the pinnacle, uh, he's the chief example of faith, especially in, in the Old Testament, but even in the New. The New Testament talks about Abraham as having faith. He is the father of faith, the father of all people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham, we look to as our father. And Specifically, I mean, Abraham had many steps of faith, one of which was simply just leaving his homeland. He had to leave something behind. God says, I want you to leave your family, leave your area, leave, leave everything you've known, uproot, and go to the place I show you. So alternate timeline, imagine if Abraham was like, nah, I'm pretty good here in Haran. No thanks. 
or he could have justified it. No, like I know God, and he would never ask me to leave this behind. We'd have a very different story, right? And he wouldn't have experienced any of what God wanted to do through him or give to him. He was called to leave something behind. And then later down the line, he was even called to sacrifice his own son. And again, we know, we know how the story ends, right? God never wanted him to actually kill his son. But he, he asked him to do it anyway. And when he exhibited the faith to actually lower the dagger, God paused and gave a solution. So think about it from this standpoint. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's hard to relate with biblical culture. Like, how many of you own a donkey? Anybody actually own a donkey? Funny story, I actually, um, growing up, my neighbor, my parents' neighbor across the street bought a donkey. It was a mammoth donkey. Has anybody seen a mammoth donkey? They're cool. They're huge. They're gigantic. They're like as big as horses. And my neighbor bought this mammoth donkey to run with, to go on runs with. That was the purpose. Um, this has nothing to do with the message, but just really funny. And she, she didn't have it trained at all. And she'd often just like put a stake in her front, uh, in her front lawn and just had a, a rope tied to this mammoth donkey. And often this mammoth donkey would, his name was Jefferson. It's a really cool donkey. Um, but often he would get loose and just roam around the neighborhood. It's really funny. Anyway, strange, we might not be able, be able to relate with it. But when we see Abraham put in a position where God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, that might hit home a little bit more with us. Um, obviously, you don't have to be paying attention to me during worship, but I don't know if any of you noticed me up front. Like, both of my boys at one point wanted to be held. I was holding them both in each arm, getting a workout in because they're heavy. But I was holding both of them during worship, and it was just so precious. But I, I cannot fathom what it would be like for God to, to ask me to sacrifice one of my sons. Cannot fathom that. And yet that's what God did with Jesus when he said, here's my son, I'm giving my one and only son for the world. Even for the people that are going to kill him. We see this often throughout the Bible that Jesus asks us to give things up. I mean, how many times? Just, just go through like a... a Anything you know about Jesus' ministry, when he calls people to follow him, how often does he call them to leave something behind? Right? We, we read uh, Matthew 4, 19. It says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The following passage says that immediately they dropped their nets. That was their livelihood. That was their job. They just left their career to follow Jesus. He tells people to leave their families. Often, I mean, a lot of those disciples were married. He tells people to leave homes and comforts. He says that basically if you want to follow me, you're going to be homeless. You cool with that? <laughs> and even I think about the, uh, the instance where he sends his disciples two by two into the villages to spread the gospel. And, and he specifically tells them, don't take anything with you. Don't even take your essentials. Just take nothing with you and depend on other people. So Jesus constantly told people to leave something behind, constantly. Family, friends, comfort, careers, homes. Because often, when you, if your circumstances don't change or if you don't allow them to change, you might not experience 
what God wants to give you. So I wanna end this morning with this question as we reflect on Palm Sunday and going into Easter week. What is your donkey? What's your donkey? What is that thing that God might be calling you to, to give up? Especially now. The obvious one for many of us is this building. Because when this merger happens, we're gonna be worshiping with Boulder Valley as one new church in their building, in their location. That's the plan. And for many of us, we've got a lot of memories wrapped up in this space. Are we willing to, to be comfortable with that phrase, the Lord needs it? The Lord needs this building. Not for, not for anything that he needs to do, but he, he needs this to be let go of so that we get to enter into this new season, this new chapter for who we are as a church and what he wants to do through us. For some of you, you've been coming for maybe a year or two or even less, and you might be like, oh, cool, that's, that's great. This building's nothing special. For some of us, it's a big ask. I mean, take, my story is one of many, but um, when I first became a Christian, this was my first church as a teenager. My faith blossomed here in this building. I met my wife here. We got married out back. Several others have been married here. This is, this is the church that my kids have grown up in. This is the only one they've ever known. Like, I've wrestled through that. And um, I know I had the benefit of having a couple months to, to process that. And I can tell you, even though I'm still feeling a little emotional about it, is this is just a building. This is a donkey. And I have to be willing to let this go I have to be willing to let a lot of things go for God to do something huge. And I can tell you, I firmly believe that God is gonna do something huge through this merger. Um, and I wanna call all of us to have that same kind of faith. Will you believe with us, with your leadership? Will you believe and trust that, that this move is truly of God? This is not something that we've concocted ourselves. This is of God. And that he's gonna do something amazing. But even if we generalize it a little bit, I mean, there, there are things that God might be tugging at your heart and saying, you know that that thing needs to go. You know that you might need to leave that behind. It might not even be a bad thing. But we all have two hands. We all have the same 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. We all have the same bandwidth, capacity. And if we're not willing to let go, we will never experience something new from God. So what's your donkey? What do you think God might be calling you to let go? Or at the very least, just hold it in open hands. And I'll remind you that the whole reason why we're asking that question and why we're moving this in is because Jesus weeped over Jerusalem and we wanna weep over Boulder. That's the whole purpose of all of this, you realize. If we wanna fulfill the Great Commission, part of what we've discerned in our leadership teams is that Rock Creek Church and Boulder Valley Church of Christ 
these two churches will be able to do more for God's kingdom together than either church can do apart. We firmly believe that. And the guiding process was so fascinating because we heard story after story after story after story of churches that have done the same thing that have gone before us and have set a good example how to do it in a healthy way. And so many of them had exponential growth. It's not growth by addition, right? It's not our congregation plus their congregation and that's what we're gonna have. This is gonna set the stage for God to do something amazing and grow us and have an even greater heart for the people around us, for our community, to fulfill the Great Commission, to help people to know the love of Jesus and what he has done for them on the cross. So as some of us mourn and struggle with this, some of us are, you know, some of us are fine with this and we're ready to go. We're really excited. I find myself really, really excited about this often. But, but for those of us who are still struggling, it's okay. But I wanna, I wanna remind us that our job, our job is not to worry about the particulars of, of, of who we are as a church. Our job is not to hold on to what we have. Our job is simply to look to Jesus, to look to him and see what he wants to do and how he wants to move to cling to him and to go wherever he will lead us. And we can trust that he will fulfill his promises. He will always fulfill his promises. So will you stand and pray with me? Um, and then we'll do, we'll take communion together as a church as well. But let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for this Palm Sunday. Thank you for your scriptures, for just the glimpse that we see of your heart in that short story. We also thank you as we reflect on that, that we know that you weep over us as well. You desperately love us and cherish us and just want to welcome us home as your children. So help us to reflect on that and to also have that same heart for those around us, that we would love, that we would cherish, that we would look at those who are far from you and that our heart would break to the point that we are willing to follow you and to do whatever it takes to share your gospel and to help others come home. So we thank you, Jesus. We give this morning to you, this week to you. We give you this month. We give you all that we have. We pray this in your holy and magnificent, wonderful name, Jesus.